The Arab American Cafe podcast aims to surface a unique perspective. The Arab American perspective. Perspective that should be heard. And it is worth learning about. Join Muhannad and Hassan at this cafe, talking about stuff, debating and discussing relevant issues while sipping coffee. <laughs> So guys, I've, I've been thinking, I don't know if you guys feel the same, I'm thinking come November 3rd, or whatever date it is, can you imagine what can a second term of Trump going to look like? I'm thinking of it from all aspects, whether it is healthcare, whether it is uh, economy, us as Arab Americans, the world and all that. And it's very interesting to picture what the next four years are going to be like, especially that we endured these four years. You know, I think the, the big question in my, in my mind, and maybe we can talk about all of this, I don't know, but in my mind, the big question is how uh, the, the second term for Trump would mean for the world in general, for the world, Yanni. Now, uh, Trump has been disruptive already. The administration has, so to speak, disrupted the, the international uh, order. The foreign policy has been nothing but uh, uh, unpredictable, irrational, at least unusual. Hala, he will probably consolidate his control if he becomes president and he will feel more vindicated, vindicated, meaning any, no, uh, you know, okay, fine, forget about our traditional leadership role as America. Uh, alliances are not as important. Uh, global economy may need to serve us and only us. The well, concept of, uh, you know, leadership in terms of democracy and human rights uh, will probably go into retreat. Uh, he basically, what we know, he, he is the kind of guy who uh, uh, insists on loyalty. And so, you know, Jared Kushner as National Security Advisor or Secretary of State does not really su surprise me. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, you never know, but uh, to start with, I mean, if you take uh, the relationship we have when, with NATO, uh, he feel at least he feels that he was able to tame NATO to get them to pay more money. But at the end of the day, I don't think he is uh, loyal to to that relationship with NATO. Uh, he uh, he feels that uh, he should be less constrained by NATO and or other relationships internationally. Maybe he will exercise some pressure on them to serve his agenda of uh, you know, America first. Uh, I, I don't know if he is loyal to any of the traditional allies that, that, that we know. It seems to me he has this fascination with 
autocrats, with with the mean people and all that. He's uh, uh, Putin and, and the, the Korean guy and Erdogan and uh, MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, and all those are people that, for some reason, it gravitates to. And I don't know what the the science behind it or the logic behind it. But uh, even when when uh, in Bob Woodward's uh, book. He, I think he said something around like um, the, about the relationships he has. The tougher and meaner they are, the better I get along with them. I think he said something like that. So it's uh, interesting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, his tone toward, like you said, various autocratic figures is definitely not what you would expect from the typical U.S. president. But I also think it's important to differentiate between rhetoric and action so specifically in regards to russia i mean there's this whole thing that you know you have kind of the resistance the democratic party saying trump is putin's puppet on one hand but if you actually look at what u.s relations with russia have been like over the past four years hasn't exactly been friendly i mean we've seen the u.s unilaterally pull out of arms control treaties with russia bombing russian troops in syria overseeing and encouraging a buildup of NATO troops on Russia's border with the Ukraine. It, it's more of a mixed bag than I think people are making it out to be. And it's definitely important to differentiate, like I said earlier, between rhetoric and substantive actions. Basically used a very high tone was China, at least more recently, meaning he started out initially, when he started out being a president, he was more flattering to the Chinese, who uh, he was very much uh, friendly or thought that he was going to be friendly with Xi Jinping, but then as the election uh, came close, he, you know, with the COVID virus situation, he decided that uh, China is the enemy. So there is some inconsistencies there. So I, I don't know if, if it is planned to be this way as far as, you know, foreign relations or is it, is it his instinct? For sure, as Mohanna said earlier, he seems to have this... Uh, uh, fascination by uh, dictators and this uh, cozy relationship uh, that he's developed with uh, North Korea and maybe with Putin for a while is something to look uh, to look at and and try to analyze. Uh, he is prone to uh, flattery and inducement, uh, and some of those tough leaders uh, try to enlist him. Uh, to help with their own causes. So, so I mean, honestly, in terms of uh, the one, uh, the one constant that we see, at least in his uh, foreign policy ideology, if there is one, is the concept of America first. So, anything and everything should 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 be prioritized, with no exception. Uh, if even if that means, you know, no coordination on on economic recovery, no coordination on vaccine no coordination on human rights. That is probably the constant, unless I'm reading it wrong. And Mafi consistency. The only thing that he keeps talking about is, you know, us and us come first. Uh, yeah, you know, that's certainly what he said. Again, like, I'll go back. I think my main point when it comes to interpreting the Trump foreign policy is to strongly, strongly distinguish between what is said and what is done so yeah you can go out in front of your rally crowds and say that you're going to put america first it doesn't change the fact that you're giving billions and billions of dollars worth of 
taxpayer money to Israel every year. I mean, you wouldn't think that that's something that someone who's truly America first would do, but that's happening. And the alliance between Netanyahu's far-right government and the far-right government here has, you know, I'm not sure it's ever been stronger in the United States' history. There's a theory out there that says that, uh, you know, Trump unbound uh, in this case is going to go after what benefits what benefits him personally in terms of uh, business and relationship, but also uh, as, a, as a person desiring attention, rating and drama. So with his instinct as his guide as well. So, so, so this is a theory that's, you know, that one can actually substantiate if you look back in, in, in the last three to four years and see how he conducted himself on all accounts, in all, in all area of, of his uh, supposed leadership. So, certainly, certainly he's driven by impulse and personal uh, gratification, for sure. And I think uh, a second term where he doesn't really care, he's not seeking support from any party or whatever, is going to give him that freedom and makes him more dangerous to just follow whatever impulse, any desire. And he is counting on those ultra-loyal immediate circle around him, which are mostly family members and uh, loyal followers. And I think this is where the danger of not caring even for any any resistance from his own party because it's a second term and he can he doesn't care he can do whatever he wants his his party is something to talk about and his party is not the old republican party anymore it's really what you said his party that that we can actually also observe by looking at how he conducted himself he tends to move away from international global agreements and is more motivated by narrow trade uh, relationship, one-on-one, uh, that kind of thing, uh, to achieve uh, whatever goals he, he wanted to. So basically, uh, he broke up with the European Union. Uh, he tried to, you know, press NATO. He is uh, he 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 negotiated uh, NAFTA individually. Ma. Canada and then again individually Mexico and then he brought them back together. He is the dealer-wheeler kind who is uh, interested in pitting one against the other in order to achieve his goal. That's typical New York real estate kind of approach and he's applied it to a certain extent to uh, international relationship. Uh, and then, you know, question is, uh, how successful really i mean that's really the point how successful was he and the records don't show that he was that successful but that has been the approach i guess it has been his approach so second term maybe we will see more of that as well not necessarily a, a good approach but that is his style the other question that came up i mean and you mentioned that Mohammed initially how how will we uh, see that uh, second term in terms of economic and internal uh, financial i think healthcare is going to be a very important pillar of his second term we already know that um he's trying to 
remove the, the ACA, Obamacare, he's trying to change it. The whole idea of appointing a Supreme Court judge is to influence that decision. So it's uh, very likely we, again, in a second term, he will not have a lot of opposition in changing healthcare as we know it, or at least as we knew it, a lot of the uh, mandates that were in the ACA are going to go away probably. Uh, they claim that he is going to protect the pre-existing conditions and other, but I don't think that is going to be sufficient. EM uh, healthcare similar to the pre-Clinton era when when uh, everything was uh, management and and uh, um, what do you call it disparities are, are going to be very prevalent. Uh, healthcare, I mean, uh, it's it's a big one for sure. Uh, uh, we know that he is, uh, you know, more in bed with uh, big pharma. Uh, insurance companies and uh, more than likely yes uh, there will be uh, some kind of a negative impact uh, at least vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Obama uh, care we'll probably see we'll probably see Regeneron everywhere you know there is no clear uh, plan for healthcare. I mean, when they pressed him several times, and what is your alternative? He does not have a clear delineated alternative in terms of healthcare. Uh, at one point in time, he was talking about, you know, each, uh, you know, we will allow the insurance companies to compete across the state line and stuff like that. This is, this is not something new. This is something that he used to say back then. And to me, I don't see any um, evidence of a comprehensive healthcare uh, system or plan that he has put together. The one thing that we can look at is his approach to COVID-19, the pandemic. And it was anything but chaotic. It was a chaos. At one point in time, leave it up to the local states. Uh, uh, and then at another time, well, now we have the, that uh, the commission that he created in the White House under the leadership of Pence, but then go buy your own PPEs, but then again, you know, pressuring industry to come up with ventilators, etc. So I'm not sure I can read anything, you know, clear, clearly in terms of what he intends to do. Yeah, I mean, I would say the future is very uncertain for a lot of the reasons you guys mentioned.